0: All right, so um, thank you guys all for coming tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 16. So basically tonight is part two to what we started talking about two weeks ago. And so two weeks ago, we started talking about the, the kind of the final wrath of God coming into play. And so this is the culmination of everything that we've talked about so far in the book of Revelation, all coming together at this one point where we see God's wrath poured out on all unbelievers. And so this moment here, this comes after last week where we see kind of the buildup to this. This comes after the last several chapters where we see different aspects of God's wrath being highlighted and shown. And we see his his wrath being poured out on sinners. And we see the beasts come into it and and Satan. And we see all of these things going on. And now tonight it kind of all comes to a head here. So this is the point that we see where God finally completes his wrath against the unbelievers. Um, And so what we see here is this final judgment being Taking place. There's no more warnings. There's no more waiting. This is the full judgment of God that's coming. And so the main point that we are going to see in the passage tonight is that God is glorified in justice. God is glorified in justice. So essentially, what we're going to be talking about through all of this tonight is just this idea of God's justice and why it matters and why it's important. And ultimately, we're going to be learning about why this justice had to take place and how God is glorified in it. So, um, starting in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 16, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go, and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out its bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of water, and it became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy God, who is and who was, for you have brought these judgments, for you have, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. So basically what we see happening here is that these first four bowls that come into play, this is, we talked about this last week, but basically they're these seven bowls of the wrath of God. Um, and they're given to this angel and this angel is told, hey, go on the earth and pour out all of these bowls. And so this is going to be the, the full and complete wrath of God. Like everything is coming to a head here. And so what's happening at this point is that um, we see this angel coming and is actually pouring out the wrath on these unbelievers. Here, essentially, um, if you remember back to chapter 8, we talked about how um, we saw the earth, the sea, the rivers, the springs, and the sun. All these things were attacked. Um, we see you know, these scrolls are broken, all these things are happening, and all these different spheres are kind of attacked, and one-third of each of them is destroyed. Here, this is essentially as if God is coming back to finish what he started. He's coming back to complete his wrath and to completely wipe out the rest of these things. So these first four bowls here target different things about the earth specifically. The first one comes upon the earth, just like how the first seal that was broken, when it was broken, it came and, um, you know, a third of the earth was, you know, it talks about a third of the earth being burned up. Well, here, it's specifically targeting the inhabitants of the earth. So every single person who bears the mark of the beast, all of them, we see that all of them are infected with these like these boils and these these sores that are on them. And so what this is doing is that this is essentially paralleling the sixth plague of Egypt. Um, And so what's happening here is that this is showing us first, the first piece of God's wrath that's being poured out on all of the inhabitants of earth. And Now, before we go any further, I think it's worth pointing out here that this passage is not claiming to be a historical retelling of something that happened in the past, and it's not meant to give us a play-by-play of everything that's going to happen in the future. Okay, This passage, as we continue into it, is going to continue to show us the wrath of God. It's going to continue to show us different aspects of that wrath being completed and poured out on sinners. But What we're going to see here is that this is not just meant to be like, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen like moment by moment, day by day. What this is, is this is just meant to show us. It's meant to show us an example of what the wrath of God being poured out looks like for us. It could happen exactly like this, but we don't know. It's not meant to show us that. This is just meant to show us what it means for the wrath of God to be poured out. Um. And so the first bowl, like I said, it targets everyone with the mark of the beast, but then these next several bowls that we're going to get into, they start targeting different parts of the earth itself. And so the second bowl comes and it's poured out and basically it says that all the seas are turned into blood. So this time, just like with the second trumpet that was sounded, the, this second bowl that comes and it attacks the seas and all the sea life that's in it. Except instead of only turning a third of it into blood, this time we see that all of the seas are turned into blood and everything in them dies. And so there's no longer any way for these people to, to, to go to other places, to transport across seas. They can't fish anymore. They can't get their food. Like This has cut them off from a major source of their livelihoods. And then we get into the third bowl, which much like the third trumpet that we talked about in chapter eight, this turns all of the rivers and springs into blood, which takes away the people's only source of drinking water. So now they've been cut off from their source of life itself. And so in all of this, we see God slowly cutting the people off from the earth that he has provided for them. This is all water and and food and all of these things that he has continued to provide for them for their entire lives and never taken away from them. And now we get to a point where suddenly he starts taking away the things that he gave them to show them the mercies that they experience every single day just having these things. And so then we can see this moment where this angel is kind of proclaiming what's going on and how it glorifies God. And then we see the, the righteous respond to this. And angel specifically says that God is just and that he is holy and that he has brought these judgments and that it's good that he brought these judgments because this is what the people deserve. This back and forth here is meant to show us that everything that God is doing is right and it is just and that God is glorified in this justice. And the people of God, they respond and they echo this praise saying that God is good, and, that, he, and that, these, that, that these judgments are true and just, that the people deserve these things. And so it's crazy, but what we see here is that though, if we went to an unbeliever and, and read them this passage and said, hey, you need to understand that God is good for doing these things, they would probably think that you were crazy. But yet we see here the appropriate response to God's judgment of the wicked is worship. The appropriate response to God's judgment of the wicked is worship. So after this, we get to the fourth bowl. And when we get to the fourth bowl, we see that this bowl is poured out on the sun. And then the sun becomes really bright and it starts to scorch everything that's on the earth. So essentially now what's happening is that the very thing that used to give these people life and light and that used to be a guide for them and help them to see everything and that they that was helpful for them, suddenly this is the thing that's hurting them. And so yet another good thing that was given by God is now being used for his purposes to pronounce judgment on the wicked. Essentially what's happening is, is God is showing them, hey, I am sovereign over all of these things. I've given you all of these things that you take for granted every single day that you don't deserve every single day. And now I'm turning them against you to show you what it is, that you, who it is that you have cursed the name of. Who it is that you have chosen not to follow? Who it is that you have chosen to disobey and to, and to completely forget and turn away from? He's like, I'm trying to show you guys how good I've been to you. And yet, despite all of this, we get into verse 9 and we see the response of the wicked here. So starting in verse 9, it says, They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues, They did not repent and give him glory. So in other words, what we see here is God's wrath against these people being justified in and of itself. When we see how as they stand here being scorched by the sun, as they stand here and their water is gone, as they stand here and they can't fish anymore, all of this is happening. Instead of turning to the God who does these, who has complete sovereignty and control over these plagues, Instead of turning to him and begging for forgiveness and asking for mercy, they cursed him. They pushed themselves even further away from him. And so one of the things that I love that we see here is that this just justifies exactly what God is doing in the first place. Because he's doing all of this and it would be so, so easy for them to just turn to the guy who's causing all of this and say, hey, can you stop? And he would. He would relent. He would have mercy on them. And instead, they curse his name, and they push themselves even further into their own depravity. In my opinion, it makes this a lot easier to read about their judgment and the suffering that they go through when you see passages like this where after everything, they still choose to curse the name of God. The response of the wicked stands in stark contrast to the response of the righteous whose hearts have been hardened by God, and they're incapable of grasping the things that those chosen by God now know to be true. This response proves the state of their depravity because the response of the wicked to God will always reveal their depravity. The response of the wicked to God will always reveal their depravity. Because every single time God has shown them mercy and patience and grace, they have turned even further away from him. They've slapped the hand that he's extended to them. They've cursed his name and come out against him and done what was wrong in his sight and they've rejoiced in it. And even now, as they see the world around them that he created being destroyed, they still turn away from him, even knowing that he is sovereign over these things. And it continues here the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel, Poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way from for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world who assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays away, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And so we get into these next two bowls here, and we see that once again the people are refusing to repent. This darkness that we see here, this fifth bowl, shows us that even the very kingdom of the beasts, the kingdom of Satan, is not immune To God is not immune to the judgment of God. It was plunged into darkness which parallels the ninth plague on Egypt and we see that they are plunged into darkness and they start crying out again and cursing against God and they're in pain and agony and they've lost all light and they've lost all their water they've lost everything and still they cry out against God. The sixth bowl then shows the preparation for the final showdown between the people of Satan and the people of God. In all of this, what we see is that these people to the very, very end are still warring with God in every way possible. Because God is here. and He's, he's turned the rivers and the springs into blood. He's turned the ocean into blood. He's controlled the sun. He's now plunged everything into darkness. Like He's done everything he possibly can to prove that there's nothing they can do to rise up against him. And yet, they assemble an army. And the sixth bowl here, it kind of shows us this preparation for this showdown. The showdown that they think is going to happen. Euphrates River was essentially what Babylon relied on for defense because they knew that nobody could cross that river into their west side. And so what's happening here is that God is showing them that your defenses aren't going to work anymore. He can lower their defenses and he can destroy their defense if he dries up these rivers, making way for all these nations to be conquered by each other. Then also, he essentially removes the blinders and lets Satan and the beast exhibit their true nature and their full control over the inhabitants of earth, which is setting, up us, uh, which is setting us up to see that no one, not even Satan himself, is safe from God's wrath. In all of this, we see that, that God is sovereign even over his enemies. God is sovereign even over his enemies. There's no one that can stand against him. There's no one that can fight. There's no one that can do anything. Even Satan himself amasses this entire army of all of his millions of followers, and he cannot stand up to God. Um, and then when it talks about Armageddon here, Armageddon was a Hebrew word that referred to a specific location where many ancient battles were had. Essentially, Armageddon represented the final battlefield between good and evil. It was kind of this moment where we see all the armies of earth coming up and preparing to stand off against God. And then look what God does in response. Instead of coming down and facing them head on and fighting them and sending all the elect after them and doing all of this, it says in verse 17, it says, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out from the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth, so great that the so great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon to great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, no mountains were to be found, and great hailstones, about one hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the, plagues was, because the plague was so severe. So now we get here to this moment that was paralleled many, many chapters ago when we talked about the end of the earth with the, with the sixth seal being broken. And now we see here that this is actually finally happening. We see all of this wrath culminating. All these nations and kings and rulers rise up against God for one final showdown. And instead of coming out to face him, he just destroys the whole earth. This great earthquake comes out and it starts destroying everything. We see that there's no more mountains and islands are splitting apart. and Like all this crazy stuff is happening. All the great cities fall. And then to finish it off, he sends all these, these massive hailstones, these massive huge chunks of ice come into the earth, a hundred pounds each and start crushing all the people. And even to the very bitter end, they're cursing God for what he did to them. Despite the fact that they deserved every single bit of it and even more. They still continue to curse God and refuse to repent. They refuse to turn, turn back to Him and away from their sins. And I love that we see that the second and final, it is finished, is uttered by God. The first one that happened on the cross, and now the second one here at the end of all creation, when He brings everything to an end. God's wrath is fully consummated, and we are finally seeing the end of evil. God tears the earth apart with disasters like we can't even imagine. And even as everything is being destroyed completely, the people still refuse to repent. What we see happen here was referenced, again, by the sixth seal being broken. And it was the first time that we talked about the end of the world. But this is the destruction of the first heaven and the first earth to pave the way for God's new kingdom that he ushers in. Into a world where there's, there's no sin, there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's nothing. None of this other stuff that's going on. We don't have to deal with the sinners around us anymore. Instead, we are free from our own sin nature, and we're standing before God, the one who created us and loves us the most. See, in all this suffering and destruction, we can still worship God, knowing that he's doing all of this for our good and for the good of all creation. So what does this mean for us? First of all, this means that anytime we face injustice, persecution, suffering, or ridicule, we can rest assured that our enemies will face everything they deserve in full. We can rest assured that those who come up against us, who it describes earlier shedding the blood of saints and martyrs, those who, who ridicule Christians and persecute them and come up against them and cause suffering and pain, that every single bit of that injustice that we ever experience will be repaid in full. We, we will be avenged. But then too, There is a time coming when evil will be wiped from the earth for good and we will no longer have to suffer. There is a time coming when evil will be wiped from the earth for good and we will no longer have to suffer. That's the good news of the gospel. That God didn't just save us from our sins, but that one day he is going to make all things new and perfect so that we, people who have been saved from the depths of our own depravity and have seen the kind of evil that is there in sin and the kind of suffering that it brings. And have seen what happens to those who turn away from God and stay turned away from God. Those of us who have seen all of this can stand in his presence fully redeemed, fully glorified, fully sanctified and know that this never has to happen again. And know that it is good and it is perfect and it is exactly what he intended for us. And so in all of this, kind of wrap this up. We can have hope in messages like this, messages that are hard for us sometimes to read because we see what's coming to people that we probably love that aren't following Christ. We see what's coming to those who, though they deserve the wrath of God, it's easy for us as humans to look at them and still have sympathy. Yet in all of this, we can see the amazing, incredible hope that is coming that far surpasses anything we could experience here on this earth. And so in all of our suffering and injustice and everything that happens to us now, we know that God is still good. He still sits on the throne, that He is sovereign over all things. And that all of that injustice will be repaid one day. So let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are just and you are holy. And we can stand before you knowing that even though it may not make sense to us, your justice is good, and you are glorified in it. God, we come before you as people who are broken, whose lives are marred by the effects of sin, who experience suffering and injustice all around us. And yet we come before you as people who are redeemed, and who have been loved By a perfect and just and righteous king. God, we thank you that we have this great hope to look forward to. God, we thank you that you are good and righteous and holy and that and that your justice is good. God, I thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us, and for what you will do. Help us to live in the knowledge of your sovereignty, of your goodness, of your grace. And I pray all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.